Welcome back to the Think Education podcast. I am Chris Hill, and today I am joined by a colleague of mine and another colleague of mine who um, she and I have contributed together and collaborated together and never actually met in person, I think. Is that right, Fiona? I think that's, I think that's about right. Have we met once at a conference? We've met once um, when you went to Melbourne and when I was in Melbourne oh, of course. together with Christopher Ziegler. That's right. Of course we have. It's funny because our, our, um, our partnership relationship has been entirely online for so long and that meeting was so... Of course we have. Yes. Wow. A, a world before COVID. Um, so easily forgotten. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm joined today by Fionn Chunbui Lim. And Fionn is the or a associate professor in general management at UTS Business School. Uh, she has an extensive background in business and international education, and over a decade of experience in various forms of international education, which we're we're going to talk about uh, in much more detail today. Uh, Fionn's research interests explore various aspects of this international education conversation, particularly third-party arrangements, academic governance quality assurance and management and teaching and learning, of course, in the international education space. Uh, Fionn's an award winner for a PhD thesis and a recipient of the Association for Tertiary Education Management Best Practice Award in the category of the Award for Excellence in Government and Policy. Um, and this governance and policy obviously has, has moved throughout not just your your studies, but through your, your work and indeed your practice, right? I mean, you are both a uh, uh, an academic scholar and practitioner in in governance and partnership and, and agreement. So it's a, it's a great pleasure to to have you on the podcast, Fionn. Thank you very much for for your time. Um, you are currently in Sydney, yes. Yes, I am currently in Sydney, and um, thank you so much. I'm very delighted to be here today um, to talk to you. And it's a uh, long time that we have seen one another and catch up together. Absolutely. So, um, obviously, your your bio is, is much briefer than your your full you know breadth of experience. Um, but you know, would you mind uh, just to sort of start us off, maybe brief introduction about your your current activity and your you know your your most recent experience? Because you you've been you know as I said before, you are a, are a scholar and a practitioner. You've been heavily involved in all of these aspects that we've sort of outlined so far. So maybe if you could just set the the context for us. Sure. Um, thanks, thanks, Chris. Um, where, where should I begin? Maybe I'll just start off with um, my background um, and, and where I come in uh, in this international education space, particularly in the TNE space. I've, I've never been a uh, uh, um, true academic in, in certain ways. Um, my career is a little bit... Um, off tracks from the typical um, academics in, in many aspects. I've been in the professional lines for a long, long time in Singapore and um, involved from the importer perspective of uh, higher education, working with Australian universities, US universities, and even UK university at one point in time, um, helping to build partnerships to bring their programs into Singapore and start running it. Now, um, and that triggers the interest on this TNE. I moved to Melbourne to do my PhD as an international student, looking into quality assurance of transnational educations covering three countries, Australia, Malaysia, and Singapore. 
And then just before I finish off with um, my PhD, or shortly after my PhD, um, I joined RMIT as a professional staff. Um, now, at that time, as a TNE managers, um, managing the professional aspects of agreement, stakeholders, management, and then I crossed over to Victoria Uni um, into very much um, the quality assurance aspects because of my research, my experience, and now I'm into um, the teaching and academic management um, of, of TNE. Um, just before um, my, my recent appointment as uh, as an uh, academics with UTS Business School, I was managing um, a UTS Learning Center SIP partnerships in Shanghai. Um, the learning centers in terms of their programs delivery, despite being in the Australia sense and not being able to cross the border into to, to, to China to really be hands on on the ground on that aspects, but. In a nutshell, um, my experience as a scholar, as a researcher, as a teaching has all been very first-hand, even as a student in the international um, education. So um, that's briefly my background. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because you've got, um, while on the one hand, you've got a lot of experience within Australia, right? Sort of more, more what we would call national. All of that national experience is international just by the very nature of what you were, you were doing. And then you've got this, I mean, okay, you've, you've moved, I think. It's interesting when you talk to people, you know, within international education, because we do move laterally and diagonally and up and down and, and building that sort of holistic experience between, you know, as you said, management and policy and then and teaching and learning. It's, I think it's a very useful thing. And I'm really interested in, you know, you're managing a partnership from a distance, right? And, and that was because of COVID, right? That was the, the restrictions of, of the, the movement. So what was that like just you know, practically, what was that? What was that like on a on a day to day professional basis? How do you how do you manage that type of thing when you you have no opportunity to to physically visit? Um, to be really honest, Chris, it's quite challenging. Um, I think COVID changes um, the dynamics of um, teaching in, in many aspects, and um, for that two years when I was managing it. In a distant mode, um, I don't deny that the local partners, the local staff who reports to me, um, and the faculties onshore in Australia have given me a lot of support to make this work um, feasible. Um, the real crunch and um, the pressure cookers um, did hit when um, that learning centre in China actually gone into an abrupt shutdown. Uh, all of us uh, read from the news about. Shanghai going to a very abrupt shutdown um, about one year back, and that really um, changed um, the challenge even further. First of all, we can't travel in, so teaching becomes online, and all universities, including yourself, um, Chris, I'm, I'm sure you, you experienced that a sudden shift of all teachings moving online very abruptly, but um, it comes worse when you are operating in um, a territories that sometimes the internet connections can make online mm -hmm. teaching difficult, or even online assessments really um, at times uh, impossible to certain extents, and as you still have to go through it and find um, creative ways or or um, working really hard with your 
your your partners, um, in, in my case, my colleagues in China, to make sure that we can continue to deliver our programs and deliver it in such a manner that um, it's still to the standards that we want. Of course, so yeah. It's very challenging. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because the you know those of us that have been involved in TNE arrangements or partnerships, um, you know, pre COVID and indeed post COVID, it's a difficult thing. Even when you have the opportunity to visit, say, every whatever it might be, a couple of months or whatever that this the the sequence might be, um, but at least there is that sort of potential connection between. I mean. Do you think? Do you think it's obviously and, and fully accept that it's, it's it's very very challenging? But I'm I'm wondering, you know, your reflection on TNE and partnerships, both pre-COVID and post-COVID. Sort of thinking about the types of practical experiences you've and management experiences you've have to you've had to go through. Um, what's your reflections on sort of the nature of partnerships, um, both from I guess the types of partnerships we might be thinking about the 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 partnership. Um, uh, management and activity. I mean, what, what are your your thoughts on on I guess where we've been and where we're going? Right. Um, it, it asks a very interesting question, Chris. Um, I think COVID changes the dynamics of um, how we do education, and when it comes to TNE, I think pre-COVID, the mindset of um, a lot of university um, that brings their programs to another countries to run it. Most of us would know that um, TNE has never been positioned as a social good. It has always been um, deemed as a, as a business mm-hmm. for a lot of universities to increase your international footprint. Yes, there are some implicit um, um, benefits in terms of research collaborations and, and, and whatnot. But the, by and large, the, um, the TNE models has always been validation, franchising, um, and the, the, the underlying objectives of many of these initiatives is really of uh, revenue generating um, business. But COVID actually teach us one thing that um, TNE um, is not necessarily a very cheap mm-hmm. operations. Um, and with COVID pushing a lot of things into online, um, there's an increasing awareness and, and recognitions that um, students might want to have hybrid. So in certain contexts, for example, in China, where full online teaching is still not recognizable, but it actually, I, I'm really hopeful that um, not just myself, but many of us in this area who, or are interested in these areas would also reflect and think about why do we want have to have TNE and are the current models that we have been typically used for TNE um, sustainable in many aspects. Uh, we wouldn't want to compromise in quality, but uh, of all things, I think TNE and post-COVID teach us that uh, it's a complex business mm. and it can be an expensive business. So uh, who you go with, with the partner, um, what's the rationale and why do you want to go into TNE becomes increasingly uh, important to reflect. Um, teaching and learning, how does it become relevant if your students are by and large 
doing your programs uh, in their countries and they, they might not want to find a job in Australia, for example. Mm. So how do you make sure that your curriculums are, are relevant to them so that they can find jobs in their country? I think these are questions that as I reflect as a practitioner in, in this space, um, I hope more talks can be given um, before we embark into a new venture. And that's, it's really interesting. And it actually, you know, harks back to conversations um, I've been having recently on the podcast, I mean, particularly with Cheryl Yu a couple of weeks ago when, you know, she was thinking, you know, very much about contextualization and, you know, the relevance, um, you know, again, as you're saying, like beyond the business model, like what's the value of, of uh, T&E? What's the value of international education? And this sort of notion, you know, this, or not a notion, in fact, that sounds too weak, uh, you know, this sort of, concept that you're you're very clearly outlining which is is it relevant in context you know if a you know the tna used to be a lot about the foreign provider in another country simply delivering the foreign degree and and that was enough you know quote unquote because you you know the student got the foreign degree or, or they got that perception of of whatever it might have been but we know that in many cases the degree that was being delivered didn't match necessarily the local values or education system or, or, or structures. And you've written about this um, in in the book that Judith and I, uh, are, you know, will publish in, in a, a few weeks. And you, know, and you write very clearly about the need for curricula to to be not just recognisable and relevant, but also you know appropriate to the to the context. Right? Um, are you seeing more of that in in teeny partnerships? Like, is that is that part of the conversation? You know, before, as the partnership agreements begin, or because, or is that sort of coming at, still at the end where you know people are on the ground and now having to adapt uh, accordingly? Um, look, Chris, I, I, th- I think how uh, um, a lot of universities um, functions as they um, formulate a partnerships arrangement in the TA space is. Um, Sometimes I, I must use the word a strong word that there's a disconnection. Yeah. So um, that the group of people who goes to meet um, a potential partner in, let's say, in China, in Malaysia, in even in Dubai, they, they might not be the academics who looks into um, the relevancy of the curriculums or how to make sure that. As we form the agreements to run a TNE partnerships, that you take into consideration all these academics and learning, teaching the curriculums to make sure that they're relevant. Um, there could be a professional staff that drive all these conversations mm. and, and sign on the dotted line. Now, again, that's one of the biggest challenges that I see, um, and one of which, which we really as the universities um, bring the programs offshore to form a partnerships in what shapes and forms needs to be aware of is that the, the connections between the corporate governance and the commercial sites of the um, university signing a TNE agreements needs to really have a, a real um, input and consult with the academic area to make sure that what you sign off it's not just off the shelf. I think um, a lot of all these TNE programs seems to be just off the shelf. I've delivered this program A onshore. Let me just bring the part um, of this um, program A into this country and deliver it. It, it, it carries a very anocentric um, 
favor in, in, in crafting these kind of agreements and it translates into the curriculums that are at sometimes are very heavily um, skewed towards uh, uh, the, the, whole, the home country institutions or home country student populations. Having said that, um, I know um, universities uh, are starting at least a couple, including UTS, starting to be a little bit conscientious. Mm. Um, so uh, they do aware that certain graduates' attributes are not fully trans um, transportable to another country. For example, if you have a degree that says, I want to create awareness of indigenous um, of history and culture. So maybe we need to chill it into uh, understandings of cultural differences. Mm. So um, still making sure that you fulfill what your degree tries to achieve, but um, taking into consideration that certain things, certain um, uh, attributes of the degree that you, you've brought over might not be fully relevant um, to the students doing in a TAE context. I think that's a vast improvement from Say twenty years back when um, I've written in my um, that reflections in your book chapter that I've seen people university UK university asking us to study Europe history in a business degree and students keeps coming into the office and say why the hell am I doing a European histories when it's um, not fully relevant so I think that is uh, a, a improvement mm-hmm. over the years. And hopefully, more can be considered in that aspect. Yeah. No. Well. Um, yeah. Let's hope so. I mean, it's um, we're moving then potentially into that model about you know it's not a content delivery, right? It's about um, sort of skill and engagement and, and learning environments, and it's it's essentially hopefully building capacity in multiple areas. And one might hope returning, you know, and and moving information in both directions, right? So you know that learning is not a a one-way stream, but uh, you know, a, a sort of a shared experience. Um, uh, no, I, I think that's I think that's fantastic. I, I'm curious actually because you know one of the things that, that Judith uh, often asks on the podcasts um, is about the branch campus model. Um, you know where you know sort of pre-COVID it, it was, and obviously I'm paraphrasing Judith. It's, it's, this is by far Judith's sort of um, line of questioning. I'm, I'm simply just just adding it uh, for her. You know, she 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 sort of outlines that you know the pre-covid the the branch campus model was kind of on the way like it was it was there weren't that many new ones coming along you know it had possibly sort of shifted and then potentially sort of one of the queries she has is is as we emerge from covid is it sort of emerging again is it sort of becoming more you know because universities want presence a presence in a country in case or to mitigate against the lack of mobility um within the you know the sort of geography that you work is is this something that you've you know you've seen any movement in this or you know what what are your reflections on on the the branch campus model um uh, maybe not so much in australia but particularly in in the 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 asian context within which you've got sort of partnership activity um i think branch campus is uh, a quite uh a heavy investment um for both sides the countries that you're talking about in the Asia aspects, Africa or or, um, or the Saudi Arabia sites, um, it's definitely um, 
some countries from from what I see recently is that they are opening up. For example, India is opening up, Vietnam is opening up. People are recognizing the value of TNEs, particularly after the COVID. When um, international travels, people are starting to know that international travels can stop. Mm-hmm. So the influx of international students mm-hmm. to a university in a home countries can be abruptly um, dis- disrupted, and um, the geopolitical tensions and things like that. So, if if in the Singapore Malaysia context, we always say this um, joke that if you are not going. If the mountain doesn't come to you, you go to the mountain, All right? So if the students cannot come to us, maybe we'll bring our programs over. Now, setting up branch campus, uh, like I say, a, lot, a number of countries seems to be opening up, like India, they're changing their 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 policies, their regulations, to welcome foreign institutions to move into their country. But the questions again goes back to the fundamental: if you are coming. In, into a TNE from a university um, site. Um, what's your rationale for going into a TNE? Mm-hmm. Now, if we look into the spectrum of the resource that you need to invest in getting a, a sustainable long-term TNE partnerships, now the branch campus is definitely a high-stake long-term investments that you really need to look at very carefully it's never a quick return mm, yeah. so if you are just for universities going in just for a quick return then um branch campus is definitely not a, a good options for them whereas if they took a holistic aspect of international educations and what they want to achieve out of it then the branch campus would be a viable options um obviously there are more um state involved certain countries require equity investments in countries. Dozens, um, even famous universities trying to set up branch campus before COVID in Singapore has failed. Mm. We know the case study. Yeah, yeah. Um, so mm. it's, not, it's not an easy one, and it's one that um, both sides need to think very carefully. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, we, I know we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what's worked in the past and, and what, what doesn't, and, but I'm, I'm just actually... One of the things you mentioned then just um, let me tra- remember a conversation that Judith and I had with Jazreel Go from, from uh, uh, British Council. And uh, she was talking a lot about student mobility um, post-COVID and, and actually how, you know, in her experience, it had actually been impacted much less than we, than we expected. You know, uh, we as the sector, not just me and Judith. Um, you know, what, what have you seen in terms of student mobility? I mean, within your, your partnerships, is there... Is there still an appetite for students to move is it has it increased since covid are people still i mean you you mentioned obviously that the online although the hybrid model is a potential one certainly in in some countries it's it's not not a recognizably you know option for students right because it it just so uh, what's what have you seen in terms of of student mobility you know appetite and and reality Has, has it shifted dramatically or 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 what um, I think um, it's still a, a very fluid um, situation. I think that there's definitely um, an increase in appetite um, in certain parts of the world 
where the student still wants to go out of their home countries to go to another place to get the experience, to study, to 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 have a taste, a real life taste rather than an online taste of what is it like to study mm. in a foreign environment, um, and vice versa. But at the same time, um, for for undergraduates, I might just say undergraduates, where in certain cultures where the parents are now starting to get a little bit more agey about um, sending their kids out um, and that, that COVID experience probably has a lingering effect and might take time to actually overcome that. So I might just cite, um, if I um, haven't remember wrongly, um, the international student markets, the inbound student markets for Australia is picking up, but we haven't really reached the pre-COVID um, uh, uh, level yet. So we see an increase after borders open, but we haven't go back to the full fledge. Um, and it might take some time to see how, how that actually pans out. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, I mean, you were very closed, right, for, for a while. So um, that, it makes sense that, uh, that that's had an impact. So can we maybe, <clears throat> particularly from your practitioner perspective, can, can we have a, a talk about, um, you know, in terms of teaming and partnerships, what maybe, what worked in the past, what, what doesn't, you know, and even some of the practical lessons you've learned from just being engaged in this uh, over, you know, a, a substantial period of time with, with obviously multiple um, partnership experience across across different nations. Um, always very interesting to hear, you know, the reality on the ground, right? It's we hear a lot about the theory, but um, uh, the practical is always, I think, very very valuable. So, I mean, any any thoughts or reflections you could you could share would be would be great. Um, I'm speaking of my personal opinion. Of course, yeah, yeah, happens, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. I I've always have to put a disclaimers. Uh, uh, that it doesn't reflect on any institutions that are associated with or worked for before, now, current, in the past. Now, um, I think when it comes to TNE, um, what doesn't work? Um, if a university, so I can only talk about the university perspective, um, it will not work if um, revenue generating is your main objective. Mm-hmm. Um, TNE, you, you can. Um, go into an agreement with a partner very quickly. But if you're looking for a quick profit turnaround, um, you, you're not going to see it. Um, in, in quite a bit of um, those markets who can afford um, uh, the TAE programs, and let's, let's face this, um, Australia or UK universities, when it goes into another country, it's very rarely that their, their fees are are much cheaper than what the public university in that important country can be. So if the objective is just revenue generating, um, it, it will not work. It will not work because um, it's an expensive exercise. And um, if you haven't considered your students on the ground, it will not work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a definite. Um, and if you have a a very anocentric um, kind of mindset that you, you you have not considered, and I return to that, if you haven't considered the needs and relevancy of your degree in that countries that you have bring your program, it will not work as well as because time will tell. I'll give you three years to get uh, undergraduate, three or four years to get undergraduates, 
But if the employers realize that um, you're producing graduates with skill sets or knowledge that are not um, relevant or not on par with other sure. yeah, um, yeah. degrees, um, you, you can't find employment and that triggers down the track. Now, what works? Um, on uh, intangible elements, I would say is that um, when you... When universities goes into a TNE partnerships or even the TNE partners go into these partnerships on an equal footing, um, I've seen uh, over the years, despite changes, improvements, there is still this um, lingering mindset that yes, I'm academically accountable to my degree, but my um, partner teaching staff not as good as I am. Mm-hmm. I think that that kind of mindset sometimes really needs to to, to change. Um, for all you know, uh, and and for what I've experienced, a lot of local teaching staff go in into that teachings. They put in their efforts. They are very very um, focused on taking care of the students mm-hmm. and passing the knowledge. And in actual fact, um, in a TNA space. Unless you are employing your full-fledged um, staff on the ground, we do rely on the local teaching partners yep, to yep. do our programs. So they, are, they do not doubt their abilities. They might not be familiar with um, our teaching methodology. They might not be familiar with what we want to achieve for the degrees that we have brought them um, to that country. Um, but it's a knowledge exchange. I like the word that you use, um, Chris. It's an exchange um, and not just purely that um, I'll, I'll just one one way flow yeah, of yeah. information and knowledge and assuming that you are inferior in terms of understanding. <laughs> yes. I think to get it really successful, yeah, yeah. We, we need to treat partnerships as equal. Mm. Um, I've always joke about um, TNE when I talk to people who ask me what I do. I, I'll say it's, like, it's like a um, intercultural marriage. Be careful who you wants to go um, into that marriage because mm. divorcing can be painful sure. and yep. it can take a long time. Yeah, yeah. With a massive damage to brand and reputation, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Precisely. No, okay. <clears throat> Precisely. I, mean, I think this is, you know, this is absolutely true because you know the you're you're shifting the focus from the the sort of the pure business model. Which, as we know in TNE, okay, you don't want to go into something where you're going to lose money. I mean, evidently, right? You you still have yeah. people that you're accountable to, to councils, etc., at home. But you know, profit is cannot be the primary objective of TNE because profit and TNE are are not synonymous, right? It's it's that's not the it's not going to happen. So therefore, it shouldn't be the point. Um, and so actually, if it's if it's more, as you say, thinking about the students, thinking about the context, thinking about the value, I mean, not only are we providing a better service, as it were, or, or you know, a better, you know, contribution, there's also a greater chance, as you say, of sustainability. Like it's, it's the partnership's much more likely to work if you're entering into it in a in that sort of a, a frame of mind, because your success... Actually, I was curious about this. We're going to ask you: How do we measure success in TNE? If we're not talking about pure finances, right? Which, which on the one hand, is a very clear marker of something, right? But you know, for those of us within TNE, you know, how do we measure success, or how should we measure success? Because the, the the sheer numbers of students 
is not necessarily reflective, right? Uh, in in sort of aggregate numbers. Um, so, how, what what do you think about that, or how do you approach that? Maybe you already have the answer. Um, I think success is a multi-dimensional um, definitions when it comes to TNE. Obviously, um, a lot of universities have, like, like what you have said, they need to be accountable for different stakeholders and public university. If you go into a TNE, you have to be justifiable because you are funded by the taxpayer money to, to a great extent. Yeah, so sure. obviously, student number... Uh, financial viabilities and um, profitability is one dimension of it. Um, again, um, regulatory requirements on um, comparable academic standards um, and how you achieve that in terms of measurable, like the pass rates, your attrition rates, how comparable you are, um, your employment rates. Um, if, if any universities are actually measuring that, um, it's quite critical. Um, now, employment rates is something that is actually uh, quite reflective of the successful outcomes um, to a great extent of the students that you generate out um, in a partnerships arrangements. You can attribute it to your partners, institutions, helping them to find employment. You could attribute to the degrees that you, you brought about as well. And that's an area that um, I think the TAE literature research itself, it's a little bit lagging in terms of that. Um, there are obviously other um, dimensions that I think um, it's worthwhile to measure. Um, what's the exchange mm. of students' mobilities that you have achieved? I don't think a lot of TNA operations actually gets to measure that mm. or have an interest to measure that. Um, like I say, um, even graduate uh, employability we have relied so much, as far as I can see, on a number of um, collaborations. We rely on the partners to measure the employment outcomes. What's the qualitative feedbacks? What does the employers on the grounds um, think about these graduates? Have we collated the information? Um, what's the research outcomes? Have you um, provided a platform where your staff exchange research um, knowledge opportunities collaborations can you measure that have any one of us measure that some of these TA, um partnerships that i've seen that have been really successful becomes multi-dimensional you have uh, exchange and mobility scholarships you have but um it's always a measure um from the prospect of inbound mm, yes but TNG is really uh, a partnership. You're talking about two parties being involved. So maybe um, the success of it needs to be um, measured in some other way. Mm. Which, yeah, which potentially we don't. As you say, I think multidimensional is absolutely the way to go because clearly, you know, finances and numbers and access are part of it, right? The, the, the number of programs we run, the, the types of programs we run, the places that we run them, the number of people that attended, the number of people graduated. I mean, those are... are clear markers you know statistically of, of university activity etc but you know you know thinking about the types of jobs that graduates go into and thinking about the value to the community and thinking about do they engage with local industry or local partners or you know thinking about the student experience i mean that there are I, I mean british council does you know quite a bit of research in this area thinking about um you know sort of measuring this but yeah it's it's just sort of an interesting you know 
Because it, it I, I, I completely agreed with your point that, you know, if we, if we should be focusing on, you know, the element of uh, partnership and equity and, and capacity and experience rather than the business sector or business model approach, perhaps, we do need to think about different success measurement indicators. And I think it's just a really interesting, really interesting area. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, that's, I mean, yeah, the fact that we don't have the answer is not really a problem, right? But at least we, we're sort of thinking about the, about the yeah. question. Um, I, I remember a, a few years back, it must be quite a few years back, when um, I asked these questions. I, I, I think British Council has done a fabulous job in um, being a centralised um, organisations, pulling a lot of research together, um, information and data that can be useful to inform future directions and strategies. Whereas um, in Australia, I've always find that um, there is a lack of a centralised mm. um, data collection <clears throat> points. And even if, if we have that, um, the data is not transparent. It's, it's very difficult to find a centralised data to say, all right, we are in Australia, we are in um, this X number of countries and we produce this X number of graduates who has this X number of employment outcomes within the six months. I don't think this data is readily available. It might be available somewhere. Mm. But, well, um, yeah, probably in bits and pieces. You know, yeah. Where, where is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. who has it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you and I... Um, we contributed on a, or wrote an article together rather, a few years ago now, you know, we were looking at comparing uh, T&E activity in, uh, in the Gulf and, uh, and Asia. And I mean, we had a huge difficulty getting hold of data. I mean, even just basic numbers, right? Which were, you'd assume yeah. would be public, but yeah, yeah, um, interesting. So um, I was curious then just maybe to sort of try to pull this together. Where do you think, where do you think Pitini partnerships, you know, are moving? What do you, what do you think are the trends that are have emerged from COVID? Um, maybe not from COVID, but you know, as a result and post COVID. Um, and where do you think Tini partnership might be heading in the next, whatever five, ten, whatever years? I mean, I know it's a kind of an arbitrary number, but um, I think um, Tni is um, going to grow at least from the Australian round, I do believe that TNE will grow. Um, but the forms of and the, um, the model of the TNEs is going to become a little bit more complex. Um, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, Chris, I, I see that after um, being forced to go online, look, online is never something new, but COVID actually forced everyone to go online. Mm. Now, there is an increasing recognition that um, there could be a hybrid, and hybrids can be in various form, size, and shapes. Um, I think the model of TNE is, it will change. Um, there will be uh, increasingly complex TNE um, model coming up, and, um, and, and some things to watch out for, particularly when universities go online or convert their programs online through a third party. A, a lot of them are not doing it in-house. They also go through a partnerships to convert their programs online. And then now you're going to bring your online programs to a local ground, which um, a, a number of countries um, still needs that local favour of a, part, a local partner mm. 
to be on the ground <clears throat> to, to run a hybrid. Now, from two parties partnerships, you're talking about potentially three or four partners being involved in a hybrid right. PME model. Um, the justifications for two partners is already difficult. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Like, like mentions, um, we, we got to be very careful and think of what we really why and why we want to go into a TNE. And hopefully university do not lose sight that this is an education um, service that we are talking about. Um, and students should be the focus yeah, yeah. ultimately. Absolutely. Can I ask you one last question? This is kind of a, a reflective uh, a question. What would be your, your, not singular, but what would be a piece of advice that you would give to a colleague about to start working in TNE? What, what's, you know, something that you've, you really feel that maybe you didn't know before you, you started? What, you know, what advice could you give to a, a new TNE colleague? Um, after 20 years of sitting into the commercial side and then the teaching and learning and things like that, um, at this stage, I would give an advice to someone who's interested um, to just um, maybe suggest ultimately when you go into a TNE, you could be sitting in a, a professional um, uh, site of, of works um, trying to build and boost um, revenue. Or you could be in the teaching and learning, just doing the teaching side. Um, let's not forget ultimately um, the student is our focus. Um, in the TNE space, the students are not necessarily a bad student um, or, or um, lower uh, in terms of their, in their academic capability. Um, TNE operates because um, sometimes there are external factors that prevent someone from going overseas or going to their, their home country's yep. university. And we know that there are restrictions that are beyond our control. So let's not just turn that into a revenue generating um, product. Um, ultimately, you're, you're talking about um, students, um, young people whose future depends on that degree mm. that they get ultimately, you know. So let's not lose sight on that. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, very a very uh, uplifting message on which to end our, our conversation. Um, this has been great, Fionn. Thank you. Thank you so much for the time and also, you know, your expert reflections. Um, and uh, good luck with all the the ongoing and, and future partnerships. And, and hopefully, we'll get a chance to uh, to talk again um, as you know more partnership and more activity. I mean, I'd, I'd really like to revisit this issue of hybrid partnerships. I think at some point, it's a uh, a kind of an interesting space that we don't really know that much about um uh, but thank you very much for your time and uh for being on on the think education podcast thank you so much chris thanks for your time as well